الجزيرة بودكاست There's a building in a wealthy neighborhood of northern Tehran that at first glance looks like all the others. Several stories high, not especially ornate, with a substantial wall and big gates surrounding it. But the closer you get, the more you realize there's something different. It looks like an abandoned palace of some kind because it's a very big house, um, a specific kind of architecture that is very old. That building is the embassy of Saudi Arabia. It's looked that way since 2016, when the embassy closed after Iranian protesters stormed it. The Saudi embassy ablaze in Tehran. Iranians lash out after a leading Shia cleric was among 47 men executed in Saudi Arabia on terrorism charges. They're university students mainly who are allowed to go and protest outside the embassies to show the discontent. Then we heard that they had stormed the embassy and it was quite a surprise. The protesters ransacked the embassy. There was smoke everywhere. The Saudi diplomats are already being evacuated from Iran after the embassy was stormed. This week, that building and its counterpart, the Iranian embassy in Saudi Arabia's capital, Riyadh, are slated to reopen, turning a page on seven chilly years. So what does restoring relations mean for these two powerful neighbors whose historically fractious relationship has defined the region and, at times, the globe? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Dorsa Jabari. I'm a correspondent for Al Jazeera English, currently based in Tehran, Iran. So Dorsa, welcome back to The Take. There is a lot happening this week where you are in Tehran. I know our bureau there is not too far from the embassy of Saudi Arabia, about a half-hour drive? Yes, that is correct. Have you been by it recently? I have. And, it, you know, it's been a long time since I was there, and it's quite a big compound. Like, a, it's not a small house by any means. So it, it just looked abandoned all this time. And it was always a guard outside, obviously. But now it's like there is a lot more people coming and going and they an increase presence of security around the embassy. They've, you know, there's a checkpoint at the top of the street and you see slowly it coming back to life. The embassy should open by May 9th. We are expecting it to happen this week. Sounds like a flurry of activity. How did we get here? It didn't happen overnight. The relationship between Iran and Saudi Arabia has been a tumultuous one for decades. They've always been on opposing ends of conflicts in the region. I think it reached its uh, boiling point when there was a Shia cleric who was executed in Saudi Arabia. The Saudis executed 47 people accused of terrorism, and among those executed, a prominent Shiite cleric, Nimr al-Nimr. Nimr was sentenced to death for sedition, disobedience, and bearing arms. He didn't deny the political charges against him, but said he never carried weapons or called for violence. A number of um, Iranian besiege members went 
to protest outside the Saudi embassy in Tehran, and they ended up storming the embassy. And that is when Saudi Arabia said, we're severing diplomatic ties and closing the embassy and evacuating all our staff from Iran. Mm. Storming the embassy, which helps explain why this is such a big deal. So you were there in Tehran when it happened, right? Yes, I was. So what do you remember covering? We always, as journalists, are prepared for this scenario, but we don't believe it will actually happen. And uh, when it did, we were in complete and utter shock because this just doesn't happen in Iran without the approval of the higher-ups in the country. These events take place on a regular basis outside the Bahrain embassy in Tehran, outside the British embassy, and, and then it was the Saudi embassy. When there's some discontent, between the relationship with Iran and other countries. So it was it was a, a bit familiar, but not it's not very common. Uh, but of course, the first time it happened in Iran was in uh, 1979 in November when the students stormed the U.S. embassy at the time and took those staff and personnel hostage. The U.S. embassy in Tehran has been invaded and occupied by Iranian students. The Americans inside have been taken prisoner. That is the point of reference, and then it can escalate. Mm. So I, I think when we heard about the storming of the embassy, we were quite surprised. The Western embassies would be more common, but to think Saudi Arabia, it was such a pivotal moment for Iranian high-ranking leadership when that Shia cleric was executed. It was as if it was a direct insult to Iran. Mm. They had to show how they felt, and this was the way they showed it. So there were these violent protests, and that led then to the cutting of ties between Riyadh and Tehran. Yes, the Saudi government decided that their behavior of these Basij members was unacceptable, and that the fact that the Iranian authorities were not able to stop these students from storming the embassy walls. The Saudi government says it made repeated requests for Iran to protect its embassy, but they were ignored. They said, we're, we're pulling out 48 hours And we expect the same of the Iranian delegation in Riyadh. So that's when things went to an all-time low between the two countries. Wow. But there's also different factors happening in the region. You have to look at, there was the war in Syria that was at its peak in 2016. There was the war in Yemen where Iran and Saudi Arabia were on opposing sides yet again. The Iranian-backed Houthis took Sanaa in 2014, sparking a war with the involvement of Saudi Arabia and allies such as the UAE. The Saudi government accusing Iran of arming the Houthis in Yemen and the Saudis taking the opposite route. And there was also Syria and, again, different sides. Mm -hmm. The Iranians supporting Bashar al-Assad unequivocally to this day Mm -hmm. and uh, the Saudi government supporting the rebels. The oil-rich Arab states in the Persian Gulf sending money and weapons to the rebels, mainly to counter Iran's influence. Okay, so keeping all of that context in mind, so much of it you covered, did you think you would see what's happening currently with both countries, it seems, looking forward to a bright new future? What feeling are you getting from people in Tehran about embarking on restored relations? Are people talking about it? Not really, no. To tell you the truth, they have their own problems and they don't believe uh, having diplomatic relations with Saudi Arabia uh, will have any 
long-term impact on their daily lives. And I think the issue is when it comes to foreign policy, um, there's been so much disillusionment uh, for the Iranian people with the breaking down of the nuclear negotiations and the nuclear deal that they don't trust anything that happens diplomatically and politically anymore. Look, Saudi Arabia has never been a friend of Iran, and I don't think they ever will be. There are deep religious differences between the predominantly Shia population in Iran and the, the Sunni monarchy in Saudi Arabia. So for the average person, I think the most important thing is they get to go to Hajj now. They get to do the pilgrimage that every Muslim is required to do during their lifetime, at least once, um, because Saudi Arabia had you know, stopped flights, stopped issuing visas. And I think that's the only thing people will care about when uh, things reopen and restart. I think the government is hoping they will lure some Saudi money to invest in Iran. There is a delegation of over 20 Saudi businessmen coming to Tehran uh, this week. So that's a sign that they are interested. The average person, because they've been under severe sanctions for decades, they're, they're just tired. And basically, they're not looking to fix any of their internal problems with foreign policy solutions. And what is the government saying about these restored relations? What have we heard from President Ibrahim Raisi? The government is very happy. I think they're they're cautiously optimistic. I think the interesting thing is, uh, for this government, it is a huge win because these talks have been ongoing for a few years to broker this deal, and it was finally China who managed to do it, and that's an interesting thing on its own, which we'll get to, right? But for the Raisi, this is the only win he's had so far being in office over 18 months. He's had a very, very tumultuous um presidency so far. His ministers are in very much um, deep water internally. And there's security issues in Iran after the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini in September and the huge protests that sparked a movement across this country that still continues today in different ways. So the Raisi government has had a lot to deal with. And uh, I think having this photo op will be a huge win for him because domestically, I think for him to have a foreign policy win or the appearance of a win, it will be very important for his legacy as well. Hmm. You mentioned a photo opportunity. What is expected to happen on May 9th? Who would be there? We don't know. Hmm. Nothing has been said. Nothing has been revealed. Usually for security reasons, we won't know until the day of But um, I think given that it's such a historic event, there will be a photo op of some kind. A historic event for Saudi Arabia and Iran. For everyone else, that's after the break. I'm Kevin Hurton, host of our documentary podcast, Al Jazeera Investigates. We've got a new series called Gold Mafia, where we expose some of the biggest smugglers and money launderers in Africa. Look for a new episode wherever you get your podcasts. So what do Saudis think of the deal with Iran? There's a lot more that we share with Iran than, than we don't. That's Aziz Al-Kashyan. I'm a Saudi researcher uh, that fo- is focusing on Saudi foreign policy in the region. And he seemed very positive. When it comes to people's perceptions, 
uh, within Saudi or Saudi's perceptions regarding the recent normalization between Saudi Arabia and Iran. I think it's very difficult to find any voices of discontent um, or, or, or being disgruntled with the decision. Though he does concede there have been regional tensions, especially with the Arab uprisings that started in 2011. It was a very turbulent period in the region, which will amplify regional tensions. And I think Saudi-Iranian relations was a symptom of that. A lot of water to run on the bridge. But, um, you know, there is a lot that we do share with Iran, and there's a lot of aspects that we, we agree on. In addition, there's a lot more that ties us culturally. And I think it is these people-to-people aspects that is going to give this relationship the longevity it needs. Um, But we're going to have to wait and see uh, because it's still early days. But Iran and Saudi Arabia aren't the only parties involved. This deal has global implications, which I asked Dorsa about. So, Dorsa, there are other parties involved here as well. There is China. China brokered the deal, which was groundbreaking news. Saudi Arabia and Iran have announced that they're resuming diplomatic ties. In a coup for China, the deal was struck in Beijing after four days of secret talks. And then there's Israel. We spoke to our colleague Ali Hashem. He's a senior journalist with Al Jazeera who covers the Middle East. And he explained why Israel is against the deal. We can't ignore the fact that Israel isn't really happy with all what's happening. So when Israel is not happy with all what's happening, that means Israel will be exerting efforts to sabotage all these paths. And in the past, they succeeded in such efforts. So for you, in your estimation, why would China want these renewed relations and why would Israel try to sabotage them? Well, Israel will always try to sabotage any kind of rapprochement with Iran. That is a given. Mm. I think any kind of a, a dialogue with Iran is a threat to Israel because Israel has one aim is to stop Iran from advancing within its nuclear program, the economy, all the aspects of the country. Mm. And for them, their relationship with Saudi Arabia um, could be uh, strained as a result of this. I don't think this rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia will be that deep that it would pose a threat to Israel or its relationship to Saudi Arabia. Mm. So that's the Israeli side of your question. For China, I think it is not the first time China has tried its hand at conflict management. Now, according to what we've heard over the past few weeks leading up to this deal, China has seen an opening in this conflict between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And it's using its power with Saudi and Iran to mend this relationship because it benefits China at the end of the day. Um, The Saudi ties with China, commercial ties, between 2005 and 2022 have grown tremendously. Uh, China has invested in Saudi Arabia. China has invested in Iran. And I think their economic power 
is providing them an opportunity to see the political implications of having that economic power. And this is what we're seeing now with this deal. Mm. And it's also, they see the weakness of this, the U.S. Uh, at, around this time as well. And, and they're, they're seeing an opening because the United States is not what it was. And they're taking advantage of it. And it will benefit them economically as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it will also benefit the region, because as you touched on earlier, there are a number of different conflicts in the region in which Iran and Saudi Arabia have backed different groups or different sides. Do you think restoring diplomatic relations could bring an end to fighting and even economic prosperity in these countries? Yes, absolutely. You cannot have full diplomatic relations with a country and be supporting opposing sides in a war. There was a huge prisoner exchange in Yemen that took place. It's all hugs and relief at Sana'a airport as a prisoner exchange comes to completion after three days. But it's taken months of negotiation. So that was the first sign that things could be on the way to ending this conflict that is just one of the most horrific conflicts in this region. What's been described as the world's worst humanitarian disaster, with 150,000 people dead. So I think there is a sense that Iran wants things to end in Yemen, and they're hoping that with this mending of relation with Saudi Arabia, they'll be able to do that. Assuming this goes ahead and the embassies do reopen, can you imagine Iran's president, Ibrahim Raisi, visiting Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in Riyadh or vice versa in Tehran? I mean, anything is possible, right? <laughs> I think it's, um, it's very unlikely. I think it's going to take a long time for the two countries to be at that point. The Iranian president just visited Syria for the first time in over a decade. The last time an Iranian president was in Damascus was in 2010. So I think it's possible, but I don't think it's very likely in the near future. We have to see how things progress. Mm-hmm. In general, we all agree that peace is good for everyone. Now, um, whether or not it takes us a long time to get there or how we get there, at the end of the day, that we get there is the most important thing. And that's The Take. We'll be back on Tuesday. This episode was produced by Amy Walters and Ashish Mauhotra with Nagin Oliai, Chloe K. Lee, Khalid Sultan, Miranda Lin, Sonia Bagat, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Adam Abugat and Munira Al-Dosari are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio.